Hey, welcome to Monday Post, the post-sermon, post-Sunday recap show from Normandale. It's Mason, and I'm glad that you're here with me as we recap and dive deeper into John chapter 9 together, which is what we preached on yesterday uh, here at Normandale. And so before we get there, I, I hope this is encouraging and helpful for you. And so if you're helped by this recap and by our sermons and by the ongoing ministry of Normandale, we invite you to support the ongoing ministry of Normandale. And you can do that by going to normandale.org slash give. Now, yesterday we talked about John chapter 9, uh, in which Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And, uh, and so he did this kind of coming off the heels of John chapter 7 and 8, um, when he was at the Festival of Booths or Festival of Tabernacles. And uh, in which these guys were celebrating, it's one of their big festivals throughout the year when they're celebrating the harvest. So it's kind of like their Thanksgiving time, and uh, and so Jesus stands up and he's teaching on multiple things, and and one theme that he picks up on while he's there that he's continuing into John chapter nine is him being the revealer or him being the light of the world. And and I've been really surprised. I guess this sounds kind of bad. I'm kind of the teaching through the book, but. But as I've been really honestly uh, encouraged, helped, and also surprised by how prominent the idea throughout the Gospel of John this this uh, it's been of Jesus as the revealer. And so John, when he write, wrote the book, his main concern is that you would believe. That's what he said. Let me find it up here. John chapter twenty. Not Jonah. John chapter twenty one, or twenty verse twenty one. No, sorry. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written. These signs are written. This book is written in order that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So this is John's evangelism tool. He wants you to see who Jesus is. He wants you to believe in Jesus. That's his main goal is leading you and leading me, leading people to belief. And uh, and so Jesus is it was it was interesting about this though is that not only is Jesus central in that belief by being the sacrifice for us, by coming as the Messiah that we needed to die the death that we deserved and live the life we couldn't live and resurrect from the dead, and now uh, he reigns and, and we can believe in him and have his sacrifice applied to us. Like, yes, that is a central part of the gospel. But what's interesting is that not only was Jesus necessary as the sacrifice, but he was necessary as final revelation itself. He was the one who needed to come to teach us about who God is. And about, just we said in the sermons, about who we are, about why we were created, about what God is like, about what God loves. And so apart from Jesus, we can't know these things in its fullness. But now Jesus has come and he's revealed these things to us by his life and by his teaching. And, uh, and so that's why John calls him the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's talking, call, talk, calling him Word because a significant part of Jesus' ministry was to be an image 
of who God is, to be the revealer for us. And that's what John picks up as he's moving us from the Festival of Tabernacles in John 7 and 8 into John chapter 9. Uh, He's continuing the theme of Jesus as the light, which is another metaphor getting at Jesus being the revealer. Jesus is the light who shines in the world. And as we said in the sermon, what does light do? Light reveals what's true. And so it reveals things for us that we can't know outside of that light shining. And so Jesus says, I'm the light, and you need to believe in me. You need to trust my teaching. You need to follow me. If you really are my disciple, you're really going to live in my teaching. And, uh, and so I, this is, I don't know, it's been a theme that we've been hitting on multiple times because it's everywhere in John. It's what John is trying to teach us, is that Jesus came for us. He reveals who God is. We need to believe that, believe him, understand his teaching is good for us, and apply that teaching to our lives and live in accordance with it. And, uh, and so, but interesting is, is in, as we turn to John chapter 9, John is continually worried about belief and barriers to belief and what is leading us to be to live in, in solid belief. And, uh, and so he says there's multiple reactions. So when Jesus shines in the world, he's the word who comes to the world. He is the light who reveals what's true in the world. But when light shines, you're going to have multiple reactions to it. And so on one hand, you can be helped by the light, and you can recognize this light is good, it's for my benefit, through this light I'm seeing things that are true, and, uh, and so you can have this, this life-giving reaction to the light. On the other hand, you can have this repulsed idea, or this repulsed idea, uh, reaction to the light. If you're standing the wrong way, you can feel blinded by it. And so these are the two reactions that we see in John chapter 9 that John is getting at when he's healing this man born blind. The man who's born blind has this positive reaction to the light shining in the world. The Pharisees, the parents, and the neighbors all have this negative reaction to the light. And, uh, and what's interesting is in this, you see more people reacting negatively to the light than positive to the light. And this kind of, I think that might go back to Jesus talking about, he says, narrow is the road to that, that, that leads to life. And blessed are those who, who follow it, who find it. But, but wide is the highway that leads to destruction. And in this, you're seeing this play out in John chapter 9, where you have the narrow road leading to life, and only one guy f- finds his way there. But you have this entire crowd of people who follow the highway to destruction, who are blinded by the light of Jesus. And, uh, um, and so the question is, what does it take for me to be someone who is helped by the light? Now, increasingly, though, in our culture, um, you have those two kind of drastic reactions to the light. You have one who loves it and who's, who finds life through it, and you have one who hates it and who, who, who turns away from it. But increasingly here, we have another reaction that's kind of in between those a little bit, and it's those that are apathetic towards the light. And in a sense, that is a rejection of the light, but it's not a high-handedness like these Pharisees. It's a, I've got what I need. My life is fine. My salary's fine. My kids and I take vacations in the summer. It's good. We have a good time. We have a good life. We have a, a nice backyard and have friends over and we grill out together and we, you know, we, yeah, and you just, you have, and you're like, we have a fine life. You know, we've got our new F-150. We, uh, we have good jobs. We have good friends. And so our lives are fine, whether God's in it or not. And so whether God's out there or there's not a God out there, it's really not that big of a concern for me because I can, I can live a fine life as, I, as I'm going. And that is apatheism. 
And so I think that's an increasingly third reaction to the light that we see all over the U.S., especially down here in Texas, is people who, uh, Texas was predominantly kind of a God and country kind of place. And, uh, but increasingly it is a, an apathetic, religiously apathetic kind of place to where if you, you know, you need to mark something on a census, like, oh yes, do you believe in God or not? Like, sure. But, but predominantly for people, it's kind of an apathetic idea towards God, because again, we can live fine lives with him or without him. And so you just don't see the value of pursuing him. And, uh, um, and so that's a third reaction towards us. So the question for us is how do we avoid being someone who's high-handedly against the light or, or apathetic towards the light? Um, or how do we prevent being someone who we believe we like the light, we believe we like Jesus, but when he teaches us or comes to teach something against how I'm living or wants me to live a different way, that I kind of shun it or turn away from it a little bit. How do I be someone who lives in the light, as John says in 1 John? Well, what we learned in this text is what this man needed to do and what you and I need to do is this. We need to receive it. We need to receive the light. So when you have the light shining, you look at it and you say, this is good. I want this. I'm going to receive this in my life. There's nothing you can do to earn the light. There's nothing you can do to create the light. Jesus does it all. Your job is to then receive it. And there's a humility that's required in this. Um, and to where you're like, you know what? I recognize that I can't do everything on my own. I recognize that there are things in this world that I'm blind to that I don't see fully, but God does. And he wants me to see fully through him and through his power. And so I need to see the light of Jesus. I need to see his teaching in the Bible. I need to apply this to my life and recognize that this is good for me. And so there's an idea of humble reception to the light. That is what God requires from you and me. And, uh, uh, and there's a sense in which that does, will at times, lead to a brokenness within us. This is what David talks about in, in Psalm 51, uh, when he is repenting over his adultery and uh, murder, um, adultery with Bathsheba and murder of her husband. And he's, he's, he's confronted about it, and he finally re- is repenting of it. And he's writing a song, and, he's, and he talks about, like, God, what you desire from me is not sacrifice. You don't desire all these grand things from me. What you desire is a broken spirit a contrite spirit, someone who recognizes that I am blind, recognizes that I am sinful and that I need you. And uh, and so that is, yeah, so what's the call for us here is to look at the light, to recognize the teaching, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the word of Jesus, and receive it and recognize this is good for us. And, uh, and that without it, I am not whole. Without it, I am not complete. Without it, I am not fully living uh, the, the life that God calls me to live. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's a good message for us to be able to hear. Now, there were two other points at the end of the sermon um, that I thought they were, were, were really beneficial, really helpful for us, because Jesus turns the message in verse 41 of John chapter 9 and says, well, this is really about healing people from sin. And uh, so verse 41, he says, if you were blind, you, would, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. And he's not saying that if you were really blind, if you didn't actually know anything about God, then God wouldn't hold your sins against you. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying if you were blind, if you recognize yourself and put yourself in the category of being in the blind people, then you would have your sin removed from you by the sacrifice of Jesus. But now that you say, we're not blind, I don't need God, I don't need Jesus, your sin remains on you. And uh, 
But what's interesting about this for you and me is as we do characterize ourselves as the group of the blind who do need the sacrifice of Jesus, who do need the help of Jesus, who do need the revelation of Jesus to show us exactly what our world is like, to show us who we are, who God's like, what he desires from us, how he designed us the way we, we he did, um, then what he does is he heals us from our sin, but not just, as I said in the sermon, in some heavenly realm to where one day you and I will experience you know, the idea of being sinless. And one day you and I will experience the idea of God being our father after we die, when Jesus returns, the whole resurrection happens, the new heavens, the new earth. And someday in the future, whenever that thing takes place, that's when we'll experience some sense of healing. We will in its fullness there. But what Jesus talks about and what John picks up is talking about living in the light is Jesus wants to heal you from sin now. Jesus wants to remove sin from you now. And so I said this in the sermon. I said, do you have an addiction in your life? Do you have, um, do you have a relational issue in your life? Animosity, battle, strife happening with a sibling, a child, a parent, a teacher, a former friend. Um, do you have uh, some kind of love for something that is ru- ruling your life and is really sucking all the happiness out of you? For example, love of money or love of success. A lot of times you can see like climbing the ladder uh, is, is something that we desire to do. We desire to attain more power, to attain, attain more responsibility, to attain a higher position. Um, but a lot of times that drive for those things can create real sense of dissatisfaction in our lives. It could suck all the joy out of our life because all we're focused on is how do I earn more money? How do I get that promotion? How do I beat that person next to me who's also trying to get that promotion? And uh, and Jesus offers healing from that and by giving us contentment. And, uh, and, so has, and so I ask this question, has sin created a mess in your life? Jesus offers healing. And, uh, and that is something that you can claim that you can live in today. Jesus wants to give you victory over the sin in your life today. Why? Because he's already secured it on the cross. He has secured victory over your sin. We talked about that a week ago. You've already won victory over your sin. The question is whether you're going to claim it and live in it. And, uh, uh, and so... Uh, and then the third thing is the blind receive a new story to tell. And and this is something I think is important for us because this dude, after he meets Jesus, becomes the, a walking billboard of evangelism. He starts sharing with everyone exactly what, and, and what's crazy is these evangelistic opportunities came to him. Everyone's asking him what happened in his life. He's like, wait, 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 how did this happen to you? How did you change? And if you receive healing from sin, some people may ask you, well, why are you different? Why aren't you, why aren't you sucking down you know, Jack Daniels like you used to? Or how are you getting away from all this, this food addiction you had? Or, or how are you, wait, how can you apologize to that coworker in the way that you just did? And so sometimes if Jesus is healing you from sinful areas in your life, then people will recognize it and will come to you and ask you about a change in your life. And boom, that's an opportunity for evangelism there to say, Jesus healed me. Jesus changed my life. Um, but this dude, he receives healing from Jesus, and he, he gets all these evangelism opportunities to share exactly what happened. And none of these people turn to Jesus. None of these people believe him and say, you know what? I was blinded by the light, but now you've told me about Jesus, and now I see. Like, no one, no one does that in this story. But that doesn't mean that everyone will react that same way. In fact, there are very few times in which you're going to share the gospel or share the story of Jesus or share how Jesus healed your life. And someone's going to react in a very antagonistic way towards you. 
Um, even if they don't want to hear you anymore, they're, they're going to listen quietly and they're going to say, okay, thanks for sharing. And then that'll end the conversation. Um, but there are people who do want to hear. For example, when Jesus walks up to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, any one of us could look from the outside saying she, her life's messed up. She doesn't really, she wouldn't be interested in this kind of stuff. She's had five husbands. She's her four or five husbands. Um, the man she's now living with is not her husband. She's just living with a guy now. And she's an outcast. She's going to the, get the water at noon when it's the hottest of the time of day so she can avoid all the other women in the town. And so any one of us could look at her and see she's too far. She is not interested. She would not be interested in Jesus. She's got her own life. She's got her own way of living. And Jesus walks up to her and starts talking to her and just strikes up a conversation. He's like, tell me about yourself. What's going on here? And at the end of that conversation, she recognizes that Jesus cares about her and Jesus wants to change her life. And immediately she runs back into the town to the people she was avoiding and shares with everyone how Jesus changed her life. And so that could happen. That happens all the time. People need to hear about who Jesus is. And, uh, and so, I mean, I was, I said, as I said in the, uh, the, the sermon, there was a, um, that I went and saw the Jesus Revolution movie, which honestly I thought was excellent. I thought it was such a good movie. I loved it. And, uh, and so I totally recommend it. If you want to go see it, Jesus Revolution uh, by Greg Laurie and all those guys at Harvest. And, uh, but there's a passage in it, or, or I mean a place in it, where they, they create some new tracks, and Lonnie sees them. He's like, well, what are we waiting for? Let's go pass these out. And it was one of the most encouraging, inspiring, and convicting messages ever for me personally because how many, I would never just have that reaction of like, well, what are we waiting for? Let's go share. Um, but that's exactly what Jesus desires from us. He says, I've healed your life. I want to come into your life. I want to change your life. And I want you to help other people come to know who I am. And, uh, and so the thing is, is like if Jesus has come into your life, if he's brought healing from the sin in your life, if he's leading you in the light, enabled you to see rightly, then you have that same story to tell to, 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 for other people. You have that same thing. So the question is, what are you waiting for? Let's go share it. Um, and so, man, I thought that was, I thought that was just incredibly helpful um, for me personally. And so as a church, here's one thing I want us to do, and, and if you, you'll notice this at the end of several sermons recently. Um, I want us to become intentionally more evangelistic and outreach-focused. Uh, so we're doing that men's outreach um, uh, event this coming Friday, so so May twenty fourth or twenty fifth. I can't remember the exact date um, right here. May yeah, May twenty fourth. It's our man outreach, and we put that on the calendar simply because we wanted to have something on the calendar, something going that was for the purpose of outreach, for the purpose of bringing other men into our church who are not church men, not church people, not Jesus people, and we just. We just want them to come and to be able to hear and meet other godly men in our church to hopefully be able to pull them into our church to be able to hear about who Jesus is and begin their new relationship, begin a relationship with him. And uh, and so we're doing that. But another thing I'm doing to, to do this is at the end of our sermons, I am making an intentional evangelism uh, statement or, or thing. So I'm, sharing the, I'm going to share the gospel intentionally at the end of each sermon and, uh, and, and I'll do it throughout the sermon, but I want it to be intentional at the very end of like, hey, non-Christians, listen up. This is for you. And, uh, but each week, I want to, I'm going to have it be the exact same. Um, so it's going to be this... Sorry, I just reached and grabbed it. This, this track that I got is uh, Nathan Lino, who's a pastor at First Baptist Forney, uh, made this. And I just think it's really helpful. 
And, uh, and so each week I'm going to share the gospel in the same way, that God is holy. That means he's perfect. In fact, he's so perfect that corruption cannot live with him. But on the other hand, we have rebelled against God, and this has corrupted us. For example, we're selfish, we're prideful, we lie, we have fits of rage. And this is our big problem, that if God's perfect and corruption cannot live with him and we are corrupt, then we cannot live with God. Our corruption has cut us off from God both now and when we die, which means we must spend eternity in hell. But that's not what God wants. God loves you so much that he gave away his only son to save you. Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place to pay the penalty for your corruption and rose again on the third day. And now Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sin, of your corruption, and reconcile you with God and give you the life God has always intended for you if you will admit to Jesus that you are sinful, that you're corrupt. Believe that he is the Son of God who died on the cross to save you and confess Jesus Christ as the Lord or the King of your life. And uh, that's his gospel track message. And uh, and I love it because it's so simple. And so each week at the end of our sermons, I've been pretty much saying that very thing. And I'm doing it the same every, same every week because I want, one, to be intentional of evangelism. But two, I want to begin to teach all of our people of a very simple way of sharing the gospel. And if I do it every single week, then it'll help us to get it in our minds of that's the gospel message. Um, that's that you can go and share while you're at Subway or while you're at Panera Bread or while you're, you know, at 24 hour fitness or wherever you're at. And so um, and so we're doing that intentionally each week moving forward as well, just because we want to be an outreach focused church. We want to be an evangelistic church. We want to see people come to know who Jesus is, to enter into new life with him, to see him live in the light, to, to walk in the light with him and then to come in and join us here at Normandale. And so, um, so that's one thing we're, we're, we're striving toward in this new season for our church. And, uh, and so, man, I, I think this is a great sermon, great sermon for me personally, just to kind of hear from. Now, there's a couple, couple things that just may be helpful for you, may not be. Um, if you are, there, there's a couple things that have been really beneficial for me over the past several weeks. Um, this is total side note from the sermon itself. Um, but just kind of like uh, administrative style things. And so as I'm writing my sermons, there have been two things that have been so helpful for me recently. One of them is I've had a new sermon um, writing. I think I'm, I probably have told you guys about this. I can't remember. But I've had a new sermon writing um, uh, grid, pattern, style, um, process. I guess process is the best word. In which I've had these different, I've created these different worksheets. And so each sermon is going to have eight or nine worksheets that correspond with it. And so it helps me begin to focus. So I've got one that when I, I got to look at the text and see what's, what's the genre of the text and whether it's epistle, whether it's a narrative, whether it's poetry, something like that. And I've got a, a literary structure worksheet that I follow. And then it helps me focus in on each individual thing instead of the whole text at once. And so for the narrative, for example, I'm looking at what's the setting at once? Then what are the characters? What's the plot? What's the turning point? What's commentary from the author? What's theological themes? What's the point of view? And, uh, and so you've got these different, or in the, uh, the poetry, or uh, I guess epistle one, you're looking at what's the independent clauses? What's the dependent clauses? What are key words? What's the transitional cue? Like, and so you've got these different worksheets that correspond. You got a, then I've got a context worksheet. Then I've got a what's the main idea of the text worksheet? How do I transition that to a main idea of the sermon? Uh, what's the fallen condition focus? Meaning, what in this text... T- requires God's intervention and rescue, and how does this uh, underscore the necessity of God's presence or redemptive work 
on behalf of us. And, uh, and so you're looking at, you know, those kind of things. And so, man, this has been so beneficial for me over the past several weeks. And I've heard from a couple of you that said, hey, things have seemed to change a little bit over the past couple of weeks, just be more clear. And, uh, and that's what's changed. I've had my, my new, uh, sermon process worksheets that I've been working through. And so every single week I've got eight or nine of these worksheets filled out for the sermon before I ever finish or write the actual manuscript. Now, if you're interested in any of that, if like you're like as you want to uh, work through a text, or if you want to look at this thing and you know, see how you can apply it or work on your own uh, Bible exposition stuff, if you want this stuff, man, it's free for you to have. Just let me know, and I will happily send you over my worksheet folder. You can do whatever you want with it. Uh, the second thing that's been so beneficial for me is um, that may be beneficial for you if you are kind of a a thinker when you get in, like in the shower. <laughs> this sounds awkward, but. Um, I have, I am a thinker in the shower and I'll stay in the shower for 30 minutes, just sitting and just thinking through things. Cause I can, I can never think more clear than when I'm in the shower. And, uh, so I bought some waterproof, a waterproof notepad that is suction cup to the wall in my shower. And more of my sermons get written in there than you would ever believe. And, uh, um, but this has been so helpful because I was like, man, I, I have so many ideas and so many thoughts while I'm in here. And I'm like, once I get out of the shower, like I lose them. And, uh, um, so I bought this notepad and I have written, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been game changing for me because, um, like this, for example, this, uh, sermon yesterday, I figured out that the whole flow of the narrative while I was in the shower a couple nights ago and I figured out, okay, well, he's got three groups of people. You got the neighbors, the neighbors, the Pharisees and the parents. Um, you've got the, what's the difference between the blind and the seeing? It has to do with your perception of yourself. Um, the idea of, have you ever had an experience where Jesus did something amazing in your life, but you had people kind of attack it or make you defend it or they dismiss it? That thought, all those thoughts came from the, while I was in the shower, you know, so I was able to write all these things down. And, uh, and so if you're a shower thinker, uh, man, I encourage you to get one of those because it may change your life. You may hold on to so many more of your ideas, um, uh, while you're in there. Now, the last thing is this, kind of in light of the Jesus Revolution movie, um, if you're interested in some other people to listen to, other pastors to listen to, um, other sermons and that kind of stuff, there, there's a couple, of, there's a handful of guys that I, I will regularly listen to. One is Tim Keller, one is Ben Stewart at Passion Church DC, one is Alistair Begg, um, who's up in Cleveland, but then most recently, after the Jesus Revolution stuff, and uh, I'm actually reading the Jesus Revolution book right now, which is also very good. I've been listening to Greg Laurie, and uh, his his style is just great. His preaching style is just really, really good, and and kind of connecting things to your personal life. Like you're check not not it's not just a lecture. It's not just here's what the Bible says or whatever. It is like no, Jesus is real, and he's doing things in our world, and he wants to do things in your life personally. And so for this past sermon, there were a couple thoughts that I got. Just kind of after listening to several Greg Laurie sermons of how he connected things to people's lives, to my life, frankly. Um, and so that's where I got like the, the, have you ever had the experience where Jesus did something amazing in your life? And you had this significant spiritual moment and you wanted to share it with those around you, but they, they just didn't care. Like, like thinking along those terms of like connecting the narrative of the story to the narrative of your life. Um, that was kind of a Greg Laurie style idea. And it's been really beneficial or helpful for me. And there have been a couple other ones like that that have been uh, beneficial. And so, um, yeah, just some thoughts on uh, some things that are behind the sermon here. And so let me see how I've probably been talking for a while now. But uh, 
Uh, man, I, I hope this has been helpful for you to kind of dig in a little bit deeper into the text, the style of the text, the sermon, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, but yeah, heads up on this. So men's outreach event this Friday night, March 24th at 6 p.m. It's going to be a great time, but important for this, invite your friends that are not church members somewhere. Invite people who are non-church people and uh, to come with you and just to hang out. And so we're going to be there to hang out. We're going to be there to play cornhole, there to play whatever else. Uh, we'll cook some brats and stuff, and it's going to be a good time. And so uh, so be sure to come and hang out and bring your friends with you because we want them to hear about Jesus. And uh, um, another thing coming up is our Passover meal. And so I want you to put this on your your family calendar, and I want you to put it on some friends' family calendar. Invite friends. Invite non-church member friends, okay? So don't invite friends. I mean, you can, but don't invite friends who go to Solid Rock or friends who go to Grace or friends who go to Christ Chapel or whatever. Like, like that's great. They can then be invited, whatever. But what we're most important for you, with what we're most concerned with you inviting are friends who don't go to church and friends who don't know Jesus because we want them to hear about the good news of Jesus. And, uh, and so that's going to be our, we're talking about our Seder meal on April 5th. It's the Wednesday before Easter. And what that is, if you missed it last year, it's the, it's the, the Jewish Passover meal in which they celebrated the Passover, but Jesus was sitting at that for his last supper before his death. And, uh, he converted that or talked about that, but talked about how that actually points to him and he reinterpreted the Passover meal to be about him and his sacrifice on the cross for us. And that's one thing we're going to celebrate together as a church. And so uh, be be sure to make plans to be at that. I would love for you to be there. And I'd love for your non-church friends to be there too. And so with that, thanks for being with me this morning. And uh, I'll catch you guys again soon. <laughs>